I want to talk to you this morning about the joy of the Lord. (laughs) I want to talk about the joy of the Lord as a promise and as a fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit over the past number of weeks. And, uh, boy, he has just got so much in store for us. And um, sometimes we have to take it by storm. Sometimes we need to take, sometimes we need to take authority over the things of our circumstances and our happenstance in life if we're going to truly have the joy of the Lord. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I hope you do. I think you do. I want to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit today. In the last time we talked, we talked about the necessity of having the fruit of the Spirit and what does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, I just feel like we need to get into the fruit a little bit more detail, specifically one by one. And so I know that love is the first one, but we're going to talk about joy first, and we're going to save love to the last. And uh, we'll just, I don't think the Lord's going to be upset when we do that. So let's define fruit. Maybe we can define fruit to be this. Read this very slowly with me. We can define the fruit of the Spirit to be the characteristics of God. That he wants us to exhibit. Why? So that we can be effective in building his kingdom on earth. So that we can share an eternal kingdom with him. So let's review it one more time. How do we define fruit? It's not just apples and oranges and peaches. It's just not love, joy, and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Yes, it's all of that. But what is it really? The fruit of the Spirit is really the characteristics of God because God exhibits all of those, doesn't he? And he exhibits them and he wants us to exhibit them if we're Christ-like so that we can be effective building his kingdom on earth so that we then can share an eternity with him. Now, when I can look at fruit that way, it gives me a hunger for that fruit. It gives me a desire for that, more than just trying to look good in the world, but truly when I can understand that that God has a reason for it, and that is so that I can exhibit it and I can grow it and I can share it with other people, that I then can have the ability to share with him in the kingdom of God. So why do I need the fruit? We have the privilege of sharing in God's nature so that we can fulfill our responsibility, our responsibility of of conforming to his character and his standard of holiness. Man, I hope we can understand the fact that I have a responsibility here, that you have a responsibility here, that it's just not something that's going to develop by itself, that I have a responsibility of Growing the fruit so that I can conform to his character because we just define fruit to be his characteristics. So I want to now grow that fruit in my life so that I can be like him, that I can share in those characteristics, and that it's my responsibility to be more of character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is something that we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to help us grow in our life. It is not an automatic growth process that happens by itself. It is a choice that we make to participate, to ask the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit in our life. I have to seek it. I have to desire it. I have to allow it. It doesn't happen by itself. 
And the Holy Spirit is waiting patiently, patiently for you and I to invite him into the process. He's sitting on the sideline waiting for us to invite him in because he's gentle and he's not going to come where he's not desired or wanted. He's not going to come and force his way on you. He's not going to come and force you to be joyful. He's not going to force you to be patient. He's not going to be forced. He's not going to force you to be kind. He's waiting for you and I to say, Holy Spirit, I want the characteristics of God in my life. So I'm inviting you to come in and help me with that. Do we understand that? Do we get it? Make sense? So what is the fruit of the Spirit? Let's, let's list them. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we need your help here. Because these are some things that we cannot do on our own. I, as much as I would love to think I could have all these nine characteristics in me because I'm so good, the reality is I'm not good. And the reality is I cannot have these on my own. I need you, Holy Spirit, to grow this fruit in my life. So I'm asking you, I'm giving you, I'm inviting you right now to come into my heart, to my life, and give me what I need to have to nurture and grow these fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the reason that we're spending so much time talking about the fruit in our lives is that ripened fruit, fruit that is ready to be picked off a tree, fruit that is ripened spiritually maturity, is preparing me to be able to use the gifts that God wants me to have. Think about that. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about fruit. And gifts, and we said, well, which one comes first? And we didn't, we said, well, we don't really know. Sometimes God gives us gifts early on in our life, in our spiritual life, maybe before we're able to really use them wisely. Um, Sometimes He gives the fruit first. I, I think that most of the time, I think God is wanting us to be mature in the fruit so that when we have the gifts, we use them wisely and are good stewards of them. Does that make sense? I mean, yes, we, people misuse gifts all the time. But that doesn't diminish the value of the gift. It doesn't diminish the reality of the gift. It doesn't diminish the fact that, it's, that it, it is real and it's powerful. And I think that if we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives maturing, that allows us to better use the gifts when God chooses to give us the gifts. So that's for, for therefore, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the gifts. The most effective Christian is one that is a proven bearer of good fruit. And he wisely uses the gifts. This is the kind of person that changes the world. That changes those people around you in your sphere of influence. When, when the fruit of the Spirit is matured and useful and growing in your life, people see it. People feed off it. We talked about character last yesterday morning in the men's prayer breakfast. Dave did a really good job talking about character. And character is all about growing the fruit of the Spirit. And when we have good fruit and we have good character, and then God chooses to give us a gift of the Holy Spirit, of many of the gifts that he gives us, and we operate that way in that we operate them together, it gives us 
good opportunity to be effective in the kingdom because people look at you and say, ah, I can trust you. I can listen to you. I can see the provenness of your life. And we will have a, an ability to draw, to allow Christ to flow through us into the lives of other people when we are ripened in our fruit and growing and maturing in it. On the other hand, if the person is abusing the gifts or um, speaking of fruit but not allowing it to ripen, we know that bad character can diminish a lot of good things in your life, right? We, we all know that. I don't think there's a secret here. I don't think there's any rocket science going on here that we know that a person with bad character has a hard time uh, creating a good outcome of their life. In fact, the Bible says a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So truly, we are what we are. Whether you know it, realize it or not, we need to have the Holy Spirit constantly pruning our lives, constantly um, growing, maturing our fruit so that we then can be nourishing to people and not confusing to people. So the question I have for you this morning is the same question I have for me, is where is my heart in this? What do I want in this? Do I want the fruit of the Spirit in me? Do I want to be that person that is trustworthy? Because it really is our choices. It's your choice just like it's my choice. So I need to start off by asking the Holy Spirit to help me grow the fruit. So let's start this morning and talk about joy. Like I said before, we'll end with love. We'll start with joy. The Christian life is meant to be a joyful life. Amen? The Christian life is meant to be a joyful life. Even when you fill in the blank. (laughs) Even when bad things happen. Even when life is just pitiful. (laughs) Even when I don't have money in the bank account. Even when I have relationship issues going on in my life that aren't good. Even when all the stuff happens, the Christian life is intended and meant to be a joyful life. But it doesn't always feel joyful, does it? Okay, well, let's define some terms. Maybe we're confusing joy with happiness. Maybe we're confusing joy with happiness. Could that be possible? Well, let's define what these mean. I know that a happy feeling can come and go like the wind. In my life, I can be up on a hilltop and something happens to me or whatever, and I can be almost instantly be in the valley. Do you know what I'm talking about? Happiness is fleeting most of the time. It comes and it goes. So is there a difference between joy and happiness? Is there a difference Well, according to Webster, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. You may not have it right now. It's the prospect 
of what one desires. It's an anticipation of what you're going to gain. You may not have it right now, but yet you can still be joyful according to this definition. Happiness, happiness is a state of well-being and contentment, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Happiness is in the moment. It's an experience. It's a state of being. I know we're kind of maybe getting real nitpicky here, but these are very important differences. And I think when we understand the differences between happiness and joy, we can find ourselves enjoying the presence of the Lord and having joy in our life even when I'm not happy. Think about that. That's huge. What makes them different? Happiness is a state of being. Well, joy is an attitude. Happiness is a state of being. It's where I am right now. I'm happy in the moment. Whereas joy is an attitude regardless of where I'm in right now in the circumstances that I'm in. Happiness is a state, as a state of being, is like saying that happiness is a byproduct of happenstance. Right? I'm happy when my circumstances give me reason to be happy. (laughs) I'm happy when I have enough money in the bank. I'm happy when I'm healthy. I'm happy when I like my job. I'm happy if my family is in proper order. I'm happy when life is good, and so on. Do you know, you know, does it make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? You following me here with me on this one? Happiness is a state of being because it's a product of my position of life in the moment. The feeling that I'm happy is all about my feeling of control. When I'm in control of the situation, I'm happy. When I know I have enough money in my bank account to pay my bills, and to spend a little bit more on what I want, I'm happy because I'm in control of it. I'm happy when my health is good because I'm in control of it. But let something spin out of control in your life, and where does your happiness go? It goes along with the lack of control. It's important to recognize that happiness is based on something that I do. It's about me. It's about the things that make me happy. It's the things that I'm in control of. Whereas joy, on the other hand, joy is not dictated by the circumstances around me, around you, but rather it's an attitude you you should have about the circumstances that are around you. Joy gives you the ability to ride through those unhappy times because it's not about the things, it's about the attitude of how I'm going to get through these times. And this is beyond us. This is beyond our ability to to be joyful on our own. I will just give you that little secret. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be joyful even in the times when I'm not happy about it. This may be hard to understand, but one can have joy even though there is a lack in your circumstances. Even though when your happenstance may not be everything you want it to be, you can have joy. Joy is more about knowing that the happenstances or the happiness of your life won't prevent you from getting to the destination that you really have laid out for your life. 
Now, we're going to talk about the destination in a minute. But joy says, it doesn't make any difference what's happening around me today. It's not going to keep me from where I want to go. It's the prospect of getting to where I want to go. I can have joy in the process of getting to where I think I want to go or the destination I've identified in my mind, even though I'm having problems right now in the moment. That takes my happiness, but my joy is unwavering. That's the strength of joy. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you may be on a long trip. (laughs) You may be going someplace, and in the middle of the trip, you are joyful about your destination. I'm thinking about Hannah and Tyler right now. They're getting ready to go to Florida, and they're joyful. It's a fun thing to look forward to. You know, but in the process, they might have a flat tire. Can you imagine how many of you have gotten a a trip, got going someplace, and, and halfway through there, in the process of your trip, you've had a flat tire or a mechanical problem. Anybody had that with your car? What happens to your happiness? <laughs> it goes down the tank. I don't want to know what you're thinking, Rick. I don't know, want to know what you said. But the fact of the matter is our joy can be fleeting in a minute because I can be joyful about the trip. I can still have the joy of the vacation, but in the middle of the getting there, I've had a problem, and all of a sudden my happiness is fleeting and it's gone. But it doesn't diminish the joy that I have anticipating the, va- the vacation. It just gives me something to talk about when I get back. (laughs) Something to laugh at later, possibly. And that's the same thing with our spiritual life, folks, that we are on a journey. Our destination is not in this world. We, our destination is heaven bound that we, we sang a song about it at the, in the offering devotional. I I have a mansion that's being built for me in heaven. And I know that my mansion is being built for me no matter what I feel like right now. I could have a very unhappy day going, but my mansion is still being built. And therefore, I have great joy. I have great anticipation. I have great prospect of knowing what that mansion is going to be like. I'm just imagining what's going on right now in heaven as Jesus. He said it. I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And if I do, I'm coming back to take you there with me. That's a promise. With that, I have joy in the process. I know that he is, he is building a mansion for me. And it's going to be a grand mansion. And I can't, be, I can't wait to get there. But, you know, I've got to change a few tires along the way. You know, I got, I'm going to have a few flats along the way. But it's not taking my joy. It might be hurting my happiness in the moment. I may not be happy about it. But I'm joyful in the process because I know where I'm going. Amen. So as a believer... We have great joy knowing that our destination is heaven, and we have great joy in the promises, even though sometimes it feels a long way off. I get that. I really do get that. And I I, I just say that I may not always appear to be the happiest person. My facial expressions don't always appear to be happy. I get that. People have told me many times, why do you look so mad all the time, Mike? Well, I'm not. I'm not mad. That's just where my face goes. Sometimes, you know, some, some people just have an ER look about them. Well, I, if, you, if the shoe fits, you've got to wear it. Sometimes I'm just an ER. I get that. But I still have joy. I still have joy in my heart, even though people don't think I'm happy, because I'm not always happy. I'll tell you that. Can I just be honest with you? I'm not always happy. No, my wife thinks I am, but I'm not. I'm not always happy. 
but I have joy in my heart. And there's a big difference before that. And I want to make sure that we understand the differences because if we let our happenstance, if we let our happiness give the control, give us the guiding direction of our life, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be a miserable person. Yeah. Help us, Jesus. Scripture is full of passages that instruct us to be joyful. Now, what's interesting is that if God instructs me to be joyful, that must mean I have a responsibility to do it. If he instructs me to be joyful, that must mean I have a choice in the matter. Scripture tells us throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, to be joyful. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You make known to me the path of life, and you will, make, you will fill me with the joy of, in your presence. Let me ask a couple of questions about this. Where is the joy found in this passage? The joy found is in the presence of the Lord. It's not found on the path of life. So often, we look for the joy where it's not there. <laughs> we look for the joy in the path of life. But there's no promise that joy is going to be in the path of life. Joy comes in the presence of the Lord. Joy comes in the prospect that I know I'm going to have an eternity with him. Joy comes in the, in the journey and getting to the destination. It's my attitude about the destination. So when I'm typically looking for joy in the path of life where it's not found, is there any wonder why I may not be joyful? Because I'm looking for it in the wrong place. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11. Those who have been ransomed ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Again, let's look at this. Let's ask a couple questions. Who is entering Zion? Zion is Jerusalem. Who is entering Zion with singing and joy? Those that the Lord has ransomed. And who are we this morning? We are those that Jesus has died for. We are those that he has come to ransom us. Therefore, this verse is speaking to us. Even though this verse was being written by Isaiah in the time of exile, back in the Old Testament times, he was writing this with a dual prophecy. He was writing this to the, to the, to the, the, the Jewish people that were in exile, that were being promised that they would go back home to, to Jerusalem, to Israel, and he said that God will give you great joy in the process as he delivers us, as he ransoms us, that we will enter Jerusalem singing joyful hymns. But prophecy at that time is like looking at a mountain range. It, it is multiple peaks of prophecy. So this is just as pertinent to you and I today as it was to the Jerusalem or to the Israel, to, to the Jews at that time. Because when you get to a mountain's peak, you look over. If you're in a big mountain range, you look over and you see mountain peaks way down. A big valley in between, maybe multiple valleys, you see another mountain peak. Well, that's another point of prophecy. And that's where we're at today. We're on a, proph- we're on a prophecy mountain further down the fact than what Isaiah was talking about then. But it's just as real for us today that we are the ransomed. And our reaction should be joy as we're entering into Jerusalem or entering into our promise of, et- of eternal life. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at the New Testament for a minute, starting at verse 3. It says, Praise be 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, this verse is setting the stage for some pretty awesome things that are coming here. And I'm going to read that in a minute. But we have to recognize, we have to have the proper foundation to give us the reason for the joy that we're going to be talking about in a a minute. Joy is built not upon our happenstances like we've been talking about. Joy is not not a, a product of our happiness. It is a product of our expectation of where we're going. So rather, joy is to have an attitude of saying that, Um, I need to know what and where my foundation and my promises are based upon. And when I have a full assurance of that, joy is a product of that. So let's look at, let's continue on and and read the the, the rest of this passage. It says, starting in verse 6, in all of this, what are we talking about in all of this? The great promises that we just read about, okay? In all of this, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, here comes the flat tires, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These may have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith is greater of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Boy, there's faith in action. You have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and here we go, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a powerful passage of Scripture here, that we can have an inexpressible amount of joy, not because we're going through the trials of life, but because of the promise that he's given us as to what is for us at the end of the day, and that is a mansion on a hilltop. The New Living Translation says it this way, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Now, why do we need the the grief? Why do we need to suffer Why do we need to go through the pain and the grief and the trials of this life? Well, it's sad to say, but our human nature doesn't really appreciate how good something is until we see how bad it could be. That's just the way we are. (laughs) We don't appreciate something, how good we have it, until we realize it's gone or in process of being taken away. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come, up, come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We don't appreciate something until it's gone. You know, and you, you don't appreciate your eyesight until it starts to get blurry. <laughs> you don't appreciate being able to read a book without glasses until you look at it and say, whoa, what are those things? Those words? It's kind of blurry. All of a sudden, you appreciate the good sight that you used to have. You don't appreciate hearing until your ability to hear is being diminished and 
people are saying, you need hearing aids. <laughs> you don't appreciate what it's like to stand up straight without pain until your back hurts. You don't appreciate many of the bodily functions <laughs> that you can do easily right now when you can do them until they leave. And all of a sudden, then you're struggling with, man, oh, man, I, I really wish I had it again. But God uses trials. And he uses things like this to help us understand how good it's going to be again. Even when I'm going through the the trials of this life, the fiery trials, as, as the writer says, that they're testing us, they're purifying us as gold is purified. He promises in the end that we'll have great relief and great joy. But sometimes we have to go through the process. God wants his people to be joyful and enjoy life. There's no question that's his goal But if we would really get it, we could have a better understanding of what it means to truly be forgiven and accepted into the family of God so that we could have the relationship with him that he would like us to have. And if I could truly understand my relationship with the Lord and how he has taken the the bad things of my life and how he has forgiven me and has restored me and put me back in right relationship with him, that truly is the basis of my joy. Because with that, I have the promise of heaven. Yeah. In reading the passages that we just read, the theme of all of them was was how the the foundation of, of joy was built on the hope, the promise of eternal life. Not the promises that we're going to have a great life here. Because the great life here is not going to last long, no matter how good it is. Or how bad it is. It's not going to last long. But eternity lasts a long time. Wouldn't you much rather have an eternity of joy and maybe have a little bit of pain right now and have the joy later? Or would you rather have the joy right now and the pain later? Would you rather enjoy eternity of pain or would you rather enjoy eternity of pleasure and joy? I think that's an easy answer. The The promise of eternal life and eternal joy is the foundation of my life, no matter what the circumstances are that surround me in the moment. Man, I tell you, if we could get this. We experience joy when we finally realize the source of it. It's not in this world, and it's not in my life. It's not about who I am. It's in the promise of eternal life that I have through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Jesus' shed blood. When I know that, then that gives me joy. And until I know that, I really can't have joy. I mean, I I might have happiness, but I really don't have eternal joy. John 16, this is the, the context of this passage is Jesus was telling his disciples that he's going to go away, all right? Jesus is still alive. He hasn't been crucified yet, but he's telling his disciples, I'm telling you the truth, guys, that I'm leaving, and you're going to not like it. (laughs) You're not going to like it in in, in the moment, but in the end, you will have great joy, all right? So let's read what Jesus says. John 16, verses 20 through 22. It says, I will tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice or have great joy, and no one can rob you of that. No one can rob you of the joy that you have because it's not based upon the circumstances of this life. That is so powerful. If I could grasp that, it might make me a little more happy. (laughs) 
If I could grasp that, it might give me a, a real difference in my, the way I look at life. It's obvious that the disciples are not going to be happy about the circumstances of Jesus leaving them. I mean, would you? Oh, of course not. But yet Jesus promised them that suddenly they would be joyful when they understood that what was happening to them is really for their benefit because then the Holy Spirit can come. And Jesus went on to explain that whole process to them, that unless he leaves, unless he goes, he can't send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will then give them eternal life, and they will live, and he will be their comforter and their paraclete and their guide. And and we all know the story. That's the amazing part, is that Jesus had to go. It made the guy sad for the moment, but with eternal joy coming in the and. In, in their life. Now, here's a question for us. How do we maintain a joyful life? How do we maintain it? Well, let me give you the easy answer. The easy answer is by being in and staying in a right and proper relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we maintain it. I mean, it's not me having a big bank account. It's not me having a big house. It's not me being happy and successful. That's not how I maintain joy. I maintain joy by staying in a real and proper and a true relationship with Jesus. He's the joy giver. And my, my joy is based upon my relationship with him. There's a difference between earthly joy and heavenly joy. And we talked about happiness is, is all about our circumstances. Joy is all about our promise of where we're going. Our promise and our, our looking forward to that and our expectation of what God has in store for us. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and since the Spirit of God doesn't change, neither does the fruit. Let me give you that eternal hope here. Joy is fruit of the Spirit, and since the Spirit of God doesn't change, neither does the fruit. We talked at the very beginning, the characteristics or the, the definition of joy is the characteristics of God. God is never changing. His characteristics never change ever, no matter what's going on, no matter where we're at in the eternity or the, the timeline of this earth or all of God's eternity. He never changes. His characteristics never change. Joy is part of it. And joy never changes. In the same way, joy is the fruit that does not change with outward circumstances other, it doesn't change with us inward either. No matter how bad the circumstances are, no matter how bad the things are around you and your life right now, joy is in the middle of it. Let me just tell you that. You can have joy in the middle of the worst time of your life. And that is what amazes the world. That is what amazes people. See, sometimes we wonder, God, why am I sick? Why do I, have to, why do I have cancer? Why do I have to go to the doctor? Why aren't you healing me? Because you are a miraculous healer. I know you can heal me. I know it's in your ability to do that. Speak the word, Father, and I'm completely whole. Amen? We know God can heal. But sometimes he doesn't heal me. Sometimes I have to go to the doctor. Sometimes I have to sit in that oncologist's waiting room along with other cancer patients there and suffer along with them. And here's the key, guys. If I can do it with a joyful heart, you're going to have a lot of people looking at you and say, where are you getting that? Where does that come from? And all of a sudden, guess what you are? You are a great witness. 
you, are great, you have a great testimony that you can give people because you're going through the same stuff that they're going through and they're in the mully grubs over it. They're fearful over it. They don't know what's going to happen. They're fearing death. They're feeling what happens next. And you can look at it and say, you know, I'm going through the same stuff you are, but, you know, I have a promise. I have a hope that no matter what's going on in my life, this is not my home anyway. Now, I'm not wishing death on anybody, and I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for our life. We should fight for our life. But at the same time, when we do it with a joyful approach, when we do it with a godly approach, when we do it with the characteristics of God being shown through us, people are looking at you and say, I want what you have. Can you share it with me? And now you have a great opportunity to talk about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that God gives us the ability to suffer for him and to go through life like that so we can be a better witness and a better testimony of who Jesus is? This is a great example. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Here's Jesus' response. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now, we have to recognize that Jesus knew what the cross was all about. He knew what that meant for him. He knew the pain. He knew what was ahead. But yet, the word says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is the joy that was set before him? What is the joy? A relationship with you. The fact that what he was doing was to give you a relationship with him gave him joy. And because of that joy, he endured the cross. And he scorned the shame. He didn't worry about it. He wasn't impacted by it. It didn't destroy him. Yes, it took his happiness because I can't imagine Jesus was happy about it because he knew the physical pain he was going to go through. I mean, it was so painful for him that he sweat blood. He cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you can take this cup from me, do anything you can, but take this because I don't want to have to suffer through it. But he said, but not my will, but your will be done. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? So that we can consider him who who, uh, endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. See, he did it to be an example for us. That we can say, well, Jesus endured the cross. So therefore, I can endure my cross. I can have the joy set before me, and my joy is the same as his joy. It's relationship. My joy is relationship with him. His joy is relationship with me. Therefore, we have joy together because it's all about relationship. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus. So now I can endure my cross because I know that when I endure it, Jesus is there waiting for me at the end. You know, I, I love the passage. This, I don't, this isn't part of the sermon right now, but I love the passage when Stephen was being martyred. Remember Stephen? He was the first martyr, and he was given his testimony before the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders. And as he said the things that he was saying, given the gospel, they stood up angry, and they were, they were, they were angry, and they, said, and they said, let's stone him. And they, drugged him, they dragged him out to, to be stoned. And, 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 and Stephen says he looked in heaven, And the heavens opened up for him, and he could see heaven, and he could see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. 
Jesus is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's what the Bible says. But for the moment when, when Stephen was being martyred, Jesus stood up. <laughs> he stood up. He said, Stephen, come. I see your pain. I see your suffering. Come to me. And he stood up and he respected him. He gave him the honor of standing up. And you know what? He's doing the same thing for you and I today. When he sees you going through the stuff you're going through and you go through it faithfully, he stands up and he says, come on. I've got such a great reward for you. I've got such peace for you that you can endure it. Hang on, endure the pain, get through it because I've got a great reward for you. That is the definition of joy. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. That's the foundation of Christ's life. He endured the cross for us. Lord, help us to practice joy in the midst of the problems of our life. Because we're going to have the flat tires. We're going to have the stuff that's going to come your way. But you don't have to lose the joy. It's your choice. Your choice to grow the fruit, to allow your life to be a, a, a productive vineyard. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, Do not grieve, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Man, when I can understand now where joy is coming from, I can understand why it's my strength. My happiness isn't my strength because my happiness is fleeting. I can be happy and sad in an instant. There's no strength there. There's no stability in happiness. But there is great strength and joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Wow. So powerful. Joy is not dependent on my ability to produce it, but rather it's in my ability to recognize the giver of it. The giver of joy is the Holy Spirit. The giver of joy is Jesus. And when I can look at him as the source of my joy, it makes life so much more productive. Amen? That makes sense? All right, I think it's time to worship again. Jackie, do you want to come up? We're going to take communion a little bit later, but we're going to worship for a while first. And now when we have worship, now let's worship with the attitude of joy. Let's not, let's not look at, let's look at the reason that we're worshiping now is because we have an understanding of why I should worship. Sometimes we come into worship. That's why the reason I had to preach before, because sometimes we come into worship and we don't know why I'm worshiping. Because I'm not happy. I have problems in my life. Therefore, I can't worship God because I'm not happy. Well, who are you listening to, folks? That's the devil speaking to you right there. Can I just tell you? That's the devil. When the devil gives you an attitude of unhappiness or a feeling of unhappiness, so therefore you can't worship God, what you're doing is that you're, you're minimizing the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes maybe if you're really struggling, maybe if you can't get out of if you can't get into an attitude of praise, then, then maybe what you should do, the first thing you do is just sit down, put your head between your knees, and just imagine what's going on in heaven. Do you think that my problems... You think that my mulligrubs are impacting who God is? No. God is still on the throne. 
Nothing has changed about his character. His character is totally the same. It's all about what, what I'm impacting, what I'm struggling with is me. And so when I can learn to look at God and say, God, okay, now I see who you are. What do you think of me? And he says, if you've accepted my son as your savior, you're redeemed. You're called out. You have a great future ahead of you. Rise up, child. Rise up. Don't let your circumstances take your happiness. Don't let your, don't let your circumstances rob you of your joy. Worship me. That's what we do. That's what believers do. That's what people that truly understand joy, that's what we do. So now we're going to take the next few minutes and we're going to worship some more. And then we're going to have communion. And then we're going to show how we maintain joy by exercising our choices in it. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you need prayer, I would invite you to come up anytime through in our worship time. And I'll be happy to pray with you. Be happy to, ha- to, to hold your burden with you. But let's just enjoy the presence of the Lord here. Let's just be joyful in, in our worship.
Sitting in the middle 